Good morning, New Hope. It is good to see you, but today I'm going to ask you to do some work. Complete this sentence after me. There's no such thing as a pardon? A free lunch, right? Wow. I'll just wait. Okay, our guys are really good. They'll figure that out. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Exactly. Here's another one. Um, if it sounds too good to be true, right. God helps those who? Oh man, you guys know it. You're doing good. Everything about the Kiwi way of life teaches us that you get what you earn in life. Right? That's true. That you make your bed and you line it. Right. You get, uh, you get what you pay for. Right? That's a kind of psychology. And we are very today aware of the values of competition, of winning. It's all about winning. And we know what it means to use hard work. And as my mother used to use this term for a long time, I never knew what it meant till it suddenly clicked, elbow grease. She said, put some elbow grease into that thing. In other words, work harder. Now, this is called the Kiwi ethic. But folks, this morning, I want to tell you something very shocking. The work ethic, the Kiwi work ethic, God doesn't operate that way. He doesn't operate on the Kiwi work ethic. And that can make it difficult for some of us to relate to God because we're in this work-driven mentality. The Bible tells us here, first verse on your outline, Psalm 145 and verse 8. It tells us that God, rather than being in a work ethic mode, it says this, God is gracious and He is compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in love. So the Bible says God, our God, is a gracious God. That's one of His character attributes. That's in His nature. That means that God loves to bless people who don't deserve it. That is His nature. This is really interesting because it also means that God does not relate to us based on our performance. Now, some of you are getting a headache. I can tell already. Because what? God doesn't accept me based on my performance. His love isn't predicated on me performing in the A plus category. No, no and no. The more you understand grace, I can promise you this, the more you're going to be drawn to God. The more you understand the grace, the more closer you're going to feel to God and God's love. The more you understand grace, the more you're going to be grateful to God because it is by grace that God brings us to Himself. Now today, we're going to start a brand new series to talk about this subject, which is like a multifaceted diamond, grace. I've called this series The Good News About Grace. What is grace? 
grace, and there are many aspects to it. There's no, by the way, there's no single definition that describes all of what grace is about. One definition, just one, is God giving me what I need, not what I deserve. Another definition is the unmerited favour, extending special favour to someone who doesn't deserve it, who hasn't earned it, and who can never repay it. One of my favourite definitions is, grace is the face that God wears when He looks at my failures and He responds in a gracious way. Many people confuse grace and mercy. Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve. That's merciful. That's punishment, what we deserve. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve, which is incredible blessing. Big difference here. Now, I know that many of you probably think, probably think that you understand grace. I think many of you think that you understand that you are saved by grace. I think you've known that for many years. Yet, some of you in this room today still have a concept that God is some sort of unpleasable parent and that you have to earn God's approval. And that you are saved, you may understand, by grace. But if we actually looked and did an x-ray, we would find that you are living by works. And when you really understand and experience God's grace, it's going to bring so much joy into your life. In fact, it's the most liberating thing in the world. You feel light again and that heaviness dissipates. He gives you the oil of joy for mourning, the spirit of praise for that, that, that heaviness that you felt on your shoulders. Now you can be a Christian, friends, for 20 or 30 years and still never learn to live by grace. So, because it is that important, we're going to spend some time doing a series on this. And my goal is that through this series, that you won't just understand intellectually grace today, which is important, because the Bible says, grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's important. Don't ever dismiss that. But I want you to, more than that, I want you to experience it. Maybe for the first time in your life. I want you to feel loved by God. I want you to really enjoy the unconditional grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Now there are many expressions of grace and I'm going to give you a quick few just to run through and then we're going to get kicked off onto what I want to say today to lay the foundation so I can build on the foundation. Many expressions we're going to look at. Next week, we're going to actually look at restoring grace. How God wipes out your guilt and helps you start over. That's restoring grace. And then the week after, we're going to look at sustaining grace. How God gives you the power to keep going and to follow His will even when you want to give up. That's called sustaining grace. And then we're going to look at healing grace, how it can do miracles in your life. Then we're going to look at liberating grace, how to break free from the habit of perfectionism, which will kill your joy. That's liberating grace. Then we'll look at assuring grace, how to defeat your doubts. Then we're going to look at offering grace, how to extend God's grace to others. And then growing in grace, how to become what God called you to be. 
today. I want to lay the foundation called saving grace. And I want to look at five aspects of saving grace because it is foundational. How is it you know for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die? And I built this around the acrostic grace, G-R-A-C-E. The first point I want to kick off with, grace is God's gift to me. The Bible says in Romans 3.24, all of us need to be made right with God by, this is how you get there. How do I get made right with God? How do I reconcile the books with God? How do you do that? You do it by the grace, by His grace, which is a free gift. How? Through. Working hard. Through. Being on my best behaviour all the time. No. I access that grace to be put right with God through who? Who? Jesus Christ. No other condition. No other person. Notice it's not Buddha. Notice it's not Hare Krishna. It is a free gift. But if I were to ask a hundred people randomly down at Botany straight after the service, and ask them, how do you think you're going to heaven? I get a lot of different answers, but basically, I guarantee you, because I ask these questions, I would hear this. Well, the way to get to heaven is try to be good and quit doing stuff that's bad. That's generally one way to say it. Or work real hard at being good and a moral person. Or do more good things than bad things, and if good things that way, bad things, I'm in. Well, I hope I'm in. That's what most would say. And I think God's going to say, come on in. But friends, all of those answers are based on works. God says here that salvation is absolutely free. Absolutely free. Circle free. You don't work for a gift. It's a free gift. You can't earn it and you can't buy it. This is a fundamental difference between Christianity and every other concocted religion on the planet. The difference between Christianity and Buddhism, the difference between Christianity and Islam. By the way, now there's discussion, we do not serve the same God. And I'll explain that later on if you're interested. The fundamental difference between us and Islam and Hinduism because you can summarise every other religion in the world by two words, oh, excuse me, by one word. And that word is do. I have to do, 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 do. That is how every other religion in the world is set up. You do rules, you do regulations, you do rituals to appease their God. In order to gain God's approval, and it varies a little on the rules and a little on the regulations, but you do, 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 do. Christianity, on the other hand, completely contrasts this. 180 degrees, antithetical. Says no, one word that summarises us is done. Done, baby. Gone, done. It was done where? On the cross. Who by? Jesus Christ. It is done. 
That's why Jesus Christ, when He was hanging on that cross, He uttered two very important words. He said, well, a few more than that, but it is finished. I can't count this morning, three. It is finished. Question, what is it? It is finished. What is it? The it is your salvation. The plan to provide grace for every person who needs it. It's there, it's done, it's finished. There isn't anything you can do to earn your salvation yourself. You just need to accept the free gift of grace. I'm not getting to heaven based on what I do. I'm getting to heaven based on what has already been done for me by Jesus Christ. And it's the greatest gift you will ever, ever be going to be offered. And if you really understand grace, you will accept it because it is God's most precious gift that you'll ever get anywhere in your life. It is God's gift to me. Now, God's gift, though, has to be received, received by faith. That's the second point. It has to be received by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Circleless. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Look what I have done. Look how good I am. Uh Uh-uh. This is a total free gift. Faith is a key that unlocks the door to heaven. It's a gift, but you have to receive it by faith. If you have a gift and you say, well, here's a gift for you, and I put $100 down there, that $100 is completely useless to you unless you come up and you take it and you accept it and say thank you. And you take it. You have got to receive the gift. I offer it. There it is on the deck. Come and get it if you want it. It'll sit there unless you come and receive it. You have to have faith that I'm going to give it to you as well. So you do, so what do you do with that gift? You can only accept it and be grateful. Look at this, Romans 4, 16, the first part of the verse. It says, people receive God's promise, circle promise, by having faith. This is the promise of salvation. This happens so the promise can be a free gift. So salvation is not based on KPIs or performance mentality. It is based on God's promise. Not on performance, but on promise. God's salvation isn't based on my goodness, but on God's grace. Because I'd never receive it if it was based on my performance or goodness. And salvation isn't, I'm not getting to heaven based on my merit, but on God's mercy. So that's why He gets all the credit and all the glory. It's a free gift that's received by faith. Now the Bible is full of stories that illustrate this beautiful picture and principle of grace. One of my favourites, in fact, probably in my personal opinion, the story that illustrates this best is found in the, in the Old Testament with an obscure man who has an almost unpronounceable name. His name is Mephibosheth. How would you like to be called that? I'd just shorten it to Phoebe. Hey, Phoebe. <laughs> and you can pick up his story. Stunning story. 
You can pick it up in 2 Samuel 9. You may want to do that offline. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan and the grandson of King Saul in the Old Testament. You remember the guy? Remember David, right? Okay, we'll get there. Now, before David's reign as king over Israel began, he made a promise to Saul, because Saul knew David was going to be king, that when I get to be king, he made a vow that he would not destroy Saul's descendants. Once he came to power, you can pick that up in 1 Samuel 24. Now, Normally, well, anyway, when David finally consolidated his power and a time of peace came to the land, one of the first acts David did was to inquire, hey, is there any of Saul's descendants, because he remembered his vow, are any of Saul's descendants alive? Now, normally the practice was the ancient kings sought out descendants of the, exist- of the king who just passed from the previous regime to put a foot on their neck and stick a sword straight through it because you wanted to chop off any threat to your throne. That was a normal custom of the day. Thereby preventing them coming to power and returning like a coup. However, David made it clear that he sought a descendant of Saul so that he might show him kindness. And in 2 Samuel 9, 1, David says, is there anyone still left? of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, one of Saul's former servants answered the call and informed King David about a single young man called Jonathan, uh, Jonathan's son, called Mephibosheth. But there was a, a unique situation here. When David had become king and it had become known that Saul and Jonathan had died, all that family picked up and ran, but the nurse that was carrying him dropped him and he ended up with crippled feet. Both legs were crippled. David's response, though, was beautiful. He moved right on after asking, where is he? He said, where is he? He didn't ask, notice, how badly is he crippled? He didn't even ask how it happened to the man. He just said, where is he? And that's the way grace is. Grace is not picky. Grace doesn't look for things that have been done that deserve love. Grace operates apart from the response or the ability to respond of the individual to respond. Grace is one-sided. Grace is God giving Himself in full acceptance to someone who does not deserve it, who never earned it, and who could never possibly repay it. And this is what makes the story of David and Mephibosheth so memorable. Because a strong and famous king stoops down and reaches out to one who represents everything that David was not. Weak and powerless and penniless and pathetic and in a big pickle. Not surprising, Mephibosheth had been hiding and he feared David would be like all the other kings that he knew about, seeking and killing the descendants of the former regime. And the last thing, if you were him, Mephibosheth, wanted to see was an emissary from the king, 
being sent knocking at his door. Well, that's exactly what happened. Can you imagine the man's shock? After answering the door, he looks into the faces of David's soldiers who said to him, the king wants to see you. <laughs> Not a good sign. Not a good knock at the door. And he thought, this is the end. Well, it actually wasn't. It was a whole new beginning. Taken before the king in Jerusalem, this frightened, feeble man threw his crutches and fell down before the king, face down. Good idea in front of a king of those days who had sovereign rights over his life. Mephibosheth had no idea what to expect. Surely, in his heart, as you read it, he was expecting the worst. David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show kindness or grace to you. For the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land your grandfather saw, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Can you imagine for a moment what Mephibosheth must have felt at that exact second. With his head down on the deck, prostrate, expecting a sword, the clang of a sword, to be the very, going through his neck was the last thing he would ever hear. And he heard those unbelievable words from a king, King David, words of grace. Mephibosheth, I'm going to take you in and make you part of my family. Mephibosheth, I want you to live here in my palace for the rest of your life. I'm going to pay all of your bills. I'm going to meet all of your needs. You are to sit at my table each night and dine with me and I'm going to treat you like one of my sons. His grace. Now David's grace to Mephibosheth is a wonderful picture of God's grace to us. Very quickly, we are like Mephibosheth because we are weak and fearful and lame and poor compared to him before our king comes to us. And we've separated ourselves from the king because we didn't know him or his love for us. And our king sought us out before we even sought him. And the king's kindness is extended to us for the sake of another. The king's kindness is based on a covenant. And we should receive the king's kindness in humility. We have the privilege of provision at the king's table. And we are received as his sons and daughters at the king's table with access to the king and fellowship with him. I also want you to note though, the king does not immediately take away all of our weaknesses and lameness, but he gives us favour and a standing that overcomes its sting and changes the way that we think about ourselves. Because the king accepts us. GRA, available to everyone. God's grace is available to everyone. God does not play favourites. 
regardless of your background, regardless of your status, regardless of your sin, it doesn't matter whether you've been a religious person all of your life or a non-religious person all of your life. It doesn't matter a scrap. Or you've got no religious background whatsoever. Romans 4.16 says this, Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be grace, um, maybe by grace, and may, gu- may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of faith, the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. So what God gives by grace can only be accepted by faith. And this promise to Abraham, in, uh, if you go back to it, in three verses back actually, in verse 13, he and his countless spiritual following all the people that would believe refer to those who would follow His example of faith. So God's promise of grace is available to anyone who opens up their heart in faith to Jesus. Look at this here. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Now the sad thing is that even though many people know that God offers His grace, His unconditional gift to us, they still try to work their way to heaven. Oh no. I'll try and do it by myself. They think that something in their lives is making them good enough so that they don't need to receive God's gift of grace through Christ. Now you may have done some really nifty and great things in your life, but if you think they're gonna get to heaven, you into heaven, friends, as lovely as I can tell you is they won't. Heaven is a perfect place. Heaven's perfect, you and I are not. And the only way you're going to get into heaven is by receiving God's gift to you. Receiving it by faith, which is available to every person. But you have to receive it. See, grace. Grace comes through Christ. John 1, 17. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Why through Jesus Christ? Why is Jesus Christ the only way to heaven? Why not Buddha? Why not somebody else? Why Jesus Christ? Because He is the only one who has paid the admission, the price of admission. He's paid for your salvation. Nobody else has done that. He paid on the cross for your sins. Grace is free, but friend, it is not cheap. It cost Jesus Christ His life. He paid for your ticket. The Lord tells me when I do wrong, it says, you blew it. But grace says, yes, that was wrong, but here's how to get back on track. You're forgiven. Now let's get going in the right direction. Romans 5.15, the next verse says, Many people have received God's gift of life by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. God's gift of salvation and eternal life is available to all, but not everyone will choose to receive it. Look at this next verse. The Bible actually urges us strongly here. Do not, don't treat the grace of God as meaningless, lightly, as trifle. For if we could be saved by keeping the law, well, duh, nobody was ever saved by keeping the law, by doing good, then there was no need for Christ to die. If you could be saved by keeping the law, there was no need for Christ to die. The reason why He had to die is nobody could be saved by the law. The Lord just showed us we were sinners. We couldn't keep God's ways. It pointed us to Christ. Well, that's a foregone conclusion. What's the answer? Huh? Jesus. 
So God's gift of eternal life is available to all, but not everyone will choose it. If you could be saved and could get to gear heaven on your own merits, Jesus would never have had to come and die on the cross for you. But there was no other way. That's why He had to come. It's a free gift. You accept it in faith. And grace is all that God does for me because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Another common acrostic, a quick one to remember, and I used to teach my kids this all the time. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. So you get all of that free through Christ. And lastly, E. It is extended throughout eternity. That's a big word. That's a very big word. Romans 6.23 says this, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Circle that word eternal. The result of God's grace is that we are going to go on and on forever. Eternal life is the benefit, one of the benefits of grace. You could say that grace is a gift that keeps on giving forever and ever. Amen. And God saves the best for last. And friends, can I tell you with great joy in my heart, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. This is just like the, the warm-up act for eternity. The Bible says the free gift of God is eternal life in heaven. Have you ever thought of what it's going to be really like in heaven? That's a whole other study. But the Bible tells us that the pla- heaven is a place of reunion where we are reunited with other loved ones who have accepted the grace of God. It tells us that heaven is only a place for those who have been born again. He says, you, Jesus didn't mince words. He says, you want to come to heaven? You must be born again. It's not an optional extra. You must. Second, third, heaven is a place of reward. We're rewarded for the character we developed and the way we serve God's purposes whilst we're on this planet for this very short time. How we loved Him and we served Him and other people. And it's going to be also a place where we're free from all pain and suffering. Entropy will not work there. The law of entropy will be gone. All suffering, all sadness, all sorrow, all grief, all depression, all loneliness, gone. An amazing place and it's a gift of God. So if you want a gift, remember the $100 bill there. You have to come and you have to accept it. Otherwise, it's of no benefit to you. So why not open your life to Jesus Christ? He is your only hope and it's free. The Bible says in Isaiah 30 verse 18, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. That's the desire of his heart. God wants to be gracious to you. It's in His nature to bless undeserving people like me and you. And He's waiting for you to accept His grace. Now, I want to say one last point about this. Does grace mean that I can accept God's gift and keep on living any way I want to? No. It's a very famous story when Jesus confronts the religious leaders of the day who'd found a woman and a guy committing adultery. Snapped in the act. So 
they yank this woman. Where was the man? Up before them, this religious bunch of hypocrites and snakes. And they want to stone her. And Jesus sees the situation and they, you know, they're actually testing him here. And he, as you may have seen in the Passion, he bends down the ground, draws a line, and he starts writing in the ground with his finger. My suggestion is that he's probably writing a lot of their sins. And he says, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. And he starts to write them down. And as you know, eventually all of them disappear. That is stunning. Then he looks at the woman. And he says to her, woman, where are your accusers? She said, they're not here, Lord. He said, well, neither do I accuse you. That's the grace. But listen to what he says next. Now go sin no more. Grace is not a license to sin like hell. In fact, if you do that, you need to go back and read Hebrews 6. That'll sober you out real quick. God will give you the power and the desire to do His will. He says, I will put my spirit, I'll take out your heart of stone, I'll put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my ways. Just don't ignore Him. So God will provide you the power to help you change. And that's a beautiful thing. It's not, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. It's all of a sudden, rather than wanting to do the wrong thing, God's Spirit will help you desire to do the right thing. See, even that's by His grace. You just have to cooperate with Him. So God's amazing grace is available today and that's why He brought you here. You're not here by accident and if you've never received that grace, what are you waiting for? Let's pray. Why don't you just pray this prayer in your heart as the musicians are just getting themselves organised up here and just say, God, I realise that I could never be perfect enough to earn a place in your heaven, which is perfect. And I realise that the only way I'll ever get in is by your grace. Forgive me for thinking that I could be good enough. Forgive me for my pride that thinks that I can earn my way into heaven. Thank you, Father, that you give me what I need and not what I deserve. Thank you for your forgiveness. And I ask for that today. Jesus Christ, Thank you for paying for my salvation on that cross. And by faith, I accept your grace today for my life. I want you to guide my life and help me live a life that's pleasing to you, Father, by your Spirit. Put your power in my life. And I pray that you would guide me and empower me to live a life that pleases you. Thank you for giving me that desire and the power to do the right thing. I pray this in your powerful and precious name.